My Car Guru, episode 203. Hello, folks. This is Lenny Lawson, the car guru, or the car guru, depending on how you pronounce the or the. I wonder if that's a uh, north-south or east-west thing, redneck or, you know, city slicker. If the city slickers say the, the car guru, and us rednecks say the car guru. I like the. It just comes out more naturally. Of course, I am a uh, Tennessean by way of West Virginia, so I come by that naturally. That's just the way it is. You know, one of the things I've been wanting wanting to do is um, I have people ask me a lot, say, what's your favorite car? What do you like to drive? And, you know, I go through stages. Thank goodness I have different things to choose from. You know, I was in a sports car mood the other day, so I got my little uh, Mazda Miata out of the showroom and drove it. It's one of those cars I put in the showroom and is not for sale. It's actually my last Mazda as a Mazda dealer. Just happened to be a 2017 uh, Mazda Miata. They call them MX-5s now. I always like Miata better. Probably the best car. One of the best cars ever made. That's a big statement, isn't it? Well, when it comes to driving and so forth, it is definitely on my top 10 list. So what I decided to do is break this list down and go over it with you. The top 10, or my top 10 favorite cars of all time. But I decided to break it down into two categories because I, I think this just makes more sense. Uh, the, my favorite cars to drive and my favorite cars to look at. So we're going to jump into that. First off, though, before I get into that, you know, the, the automotive landscape has changed a lot over the years. I remember when we became a Mazda dealer back in 1977, Mazda was kind of affiliated with the Ford Motor Company. I think Ford had invested, I think they, Ford owned somewhere between 10 and 15% of Mazda. And they were using Mazda to get uh, tr their small trucks and some of their small car technology, especially in other countries other than the United States. But once they decided to, uh, once Ford decided that, well, we need a small truck that we can sell. And, you know, Mazda builds a nice small truck over in Japan and different places. So let's just import their small truck. What did they call that small truck? Do you remember? It was called the Ford Courier. That's right. And, you know, Chevrolet did the same thing. Uh, once Ford did it, Chevrolet said, well, we need to get into this small truck game as well. You know, I'm trying to remember what year. This is probably in the uh, late 70s, early 80s is when this uh, small truck thing started happening. Chevrolet looked to a one of their partners overseas named Isuzu or Isuzu or Isuzu. And so uh, they imported their little small truck. Do you remember what it was called? That's right, the Chevy Love Truck, L-U-V. And let's see who else. Oh, yeah, um, Chrysler Corporation, uh, the Dodge division of Chrysler Corporation said, wait a minute, we need a small truck. So they hooked up with somebody that they were partnering with on certain vehicles, uh, and the company was Mitsubishi. And so well, what was their truck called? That's right, it was the first Ram truck. And they like that name so much, that's what they call their whole uh, line of trucks now. You know, it's curious. They've never come out with a mid-sized truck. Well, they did. You know, they had the Dakota. 
but uh, it was the first midsize truck, but it's been gone for some time, didn't sell very well. And uh, Ram has just never come up with a smaller truck, but I bet they will now, especially with the success that Ford is having with the Maverick. Uh, Hyundai Santa, what is there, Santa Cruz? It's not doing that great. But the Maverick, I mean, it's sold out for already for 2023. If you don't have an order in for a Maverick, guess what? You're not going to get one. I know. It's sad. But you know, a lot of car companies have reached out across the pond to get some uh, engineering aid, you know, sometimes manufacturing help. Um, it is no longer a, you know, a big three domestically built um, nation, as you well know. I mean, most of the... Most of the import vehicles are no longer that are sold in the United States are no longer imported. They're all built here, which is a good thing, I think. Um, but there's been some interesting changes over the years to some of the uh, long-term brands uh, and who owns them. It's kind of interesting. I did a little research. I kind of knew most of this. Who owns Volvo? Do you remember Volvo used to be a Swedish company? And there was another Swedish company called Saab or Saab as some people say. I don't know who says it, but uh, yeah, Saab. And so, so where's Saab today? Well, they still, they're still in existence. They make uh, equipment for the uh, aerospace and airplane industry. They no longer make cars. General Motors killed them. Yeah, General Motors bought Saab and tried to turn Saab, kind of take Saab cars and build them on Malibu chassis. Mm-mm. That didn't go over well. But Volvo was struggling, too, and so Volvo sold themselves. A company out of China, Geely. How's that for a name? Would you drive a car? What do you drive? I have a Geely. That just sounds weird. I wouldn't want to admit to that. Of course, I said that about Hyundai when they first came out as well. But anyway, Geely Auto Holdings out of China owns Volvo. So a Chinese company owns a Swedish automaker. I think most of them are still built in uh, in Sweden, but I'm not 100% sure. Who owns Rolls-Royce? I know. You think that's a British company, and it always was, and it still should be. And they're still made there. But they're made. They're actually owned by a German company, BMW. Boy, Winston Churchill wouldn't like that at all, would he? Bentley, another traditional British brand. I mean, that's what the Queen rides in, or she used to. Who owns it? Another German company, VW. So those Germans have attacked England again and taken over a lot of their storied brands. Even Jaguar got taken over. Who bought Jaguar? Well, Ford bought Jaguar originally. Matter of fact, Ford owned Volvo, and and the only people they could unload it to was uh, Geely. And so Jag, they had a real hard time unloading it as well, and they finally sold it to an Indian company company. No, not American Indian. The Indians from India. Uh, and the company is called Tata. Now that would be even worse if somebody asking you, what do you drive? I drive a Tata. That just sounds weird. Um, almost as bad as Geely. Okay, who owns Jeep? Yeah, you're right. You th- that's an American company, isn't it? No, it is not an American company. Jeep nor is Chrysler, nor is Ram, nor is Dodge. The company that actually owned, well, basically bought Chrysler Corporation out of bankruptcy was Fiat, and they changed the name to Fiat Chrysler. Uh, 
Doesn't that sound like an odd combination? So Fiat is an Italian automaker. Well, Fiat was having trouble, so they decided, and with Fiat and with Chrysler, and they decided, well, let's merge again, and so they merged with Peugeot. Now, where's Peugeot from? That's right, France. I heard somebody say France. And so they had this new company. They said, well, what are we going to call it, Fiat Chrysler Peugeot? No, that's not good. Since we also own Alfa Romeo and Maserati, let's come up with a, another name. And somebody in the room said, what about Stellantis? And they said, you know, that's a brilliant idea. So they called it Stellantis. I would have fired that person. I mean, that's exactly what I would have done. I would have said, get out now. But they said, no, we like that. So they went with that. Who owns Nissan? Well, you, you know, it used to be Datsun, right? And it was an independent Japanese-owned company. And um, anyway, they had a hard time. So uh, Renault, a French company, bought a big share in Nissan to help them. And then they said, well, let's get another Japanese company. So they bought Mitsubishi. So the actual Nissan, the holder of the Nissan stock is, of course, a lot of different people, but primarily owned by Renault, Nissan, Mitsubishi Alliance. So they, they instead of... You know, somebody in the room saying, let's call it Stellantis. They decided to just use all the names of the company. Uh, who owns uh, Porsche? Well, you know, that's uh, it's different now uh, this week than it was a few weeks ago. Uh, it was actually owned by VW. But VW decided, you know, let's this company's probably worth about $85 billion. Let's uh, spin it off. Let's sell it. And so they did. And they raised $85, I believe it was $85 billion dollars. For Porsche, so Porsche is an independent company now, still probably affiliated in some way. You ever seen those little smart cars? I don't think anybody that buys them is really all that smart. But now, if you're driving one right now, I apologize because that was kind of rude. But uh, I wouldn't want to be hitting one. I wouldn't want to really drive. It's like driving a golf cart, you know, down the interstate at 65 miles an hour. I remember seeing them when I was in Italy, and instead of you don't have to learn how to parallel park. You just pull right in against the curb, your front end against the curb, and your rear end is not sticking out in the road. So I can see that advantage. Maybe if I lived in Italy, I might consider you know having one as a hop-around car. But you know, Smart is actually owned by Daimler AG. You ever heard of them? Well, Daimler also owns a pretty good asset called Mercedes-Benz. So anyway, I just thought I'd give you a little rundown before we get into my top 10 favorite cars of all time, and I'll try to get through all of them as quickly as possible. So I'll do that right after the break. Okay, so what are my top 10 favorite cars of all time? Uh, in the category to look at, let's do that first. Well, number 10 is a uh, very famous body style created by Chevrolet Motor Division in the 50s. Now, originally, the body style kind of came out in 1955, the 55 Chevrolet Bel Air. And I really like that. But the 57 is my favorite of all time. Or I'm sorry, not the favorite style. It's number 10. It's still in the top 10. That's that's pretty good uh, status. But the two-door hardtop version of the Bel Air to me is just a beautiful car from the 50s. Number nine, the 67 Chevrolet Corvette. You know, the C2 Corvette came out in 63. That was the first really big body change. C1 was from 1954 to to uh, 1962, and then uh, in 63, they came out with what was called the split-window Corvette, which I like them okay, but to me, the 67 was my favorite. That was the last year of the Stingray body style, 
And uh, my brother actually had one of those cars with a big 427, 430 horsepower engine. No fun to drive, but great to look at. Number eight on my list is a car that I own, 1966 Fastback Mustang. You know, Lee Iacocca just did a tremendous job uh, getting that car designed. He didn't design it, but he approved it and, and was the force behind it with a couple other guys. Don Fry was one of them. But that's just, you know, it's just a beautiful car. To me, it looks way better than the Camaro ever did. Of course, I wouldn't have said that while I was a Chevrolet person because I really didn't like Fords. But I like Fords now. Why? Because I'm a Ford dealer. Number seven on the list, 2017 Alfa Romeo 4C Spider. I actually owned one of those, too. I thought it was one of the best-looking small – it looked like a supercar, like a Ferrari. Matter of fact, it was built like a lot of them, uh, pretty much 100% out of carbon fiber. And boy, was it fast and fun. To, it was fun to drive, too. It could go on my fun-to-drive list, but it's just it was just a pleasure to look at. I'd just go down in my uh, downstairs garage and just set up a chair and just look at it. I know. It's weird. Uh, number six on the list is the most – well, probably the most valuable – vintage car in the world right now. It's a 1962 Ferrari GTO. Now, there are only, I think, 30, maybe fewer than that, in existence. And they swap hands at somewhere around $100 million right now. But it's just a beautiful long nose, very, you know, fastback, was very successfully raced. To me, it's just the most beautiful Ferrari there is. Now, here's number five is a really strange-looking car. Look it up. Bugatti Atlantic. 57S. If you just put 1936 Bugatti Atlantic, you will see one of the strangest cars built by Ettore or Ettore Bugatti. Uh, it's, he was a um, an Italian, but he actually created his company in France, so it's considered a French car. I don't. I mean, there's no way to describe it. Just very aerodynamic, uh, put together like you would put together an airplane. Has very a lot of airplane influence in it. Uh, number four, you know, even um, Enzo Ferrari said this was the most beautiful car ever made, and I would have to almost agree because it's number four on my list. Nineteen sixty one E Type Jaguar. You know, you've probably seen them around in a coupe version as well, but the E Type, the convertibles, are the ones that that really sell. They're bringing in the one twenty to one hundred and fifty thousand dollar range right now for even just a you know a decent restoration. They're amazing cars. They came in a V twelve or an inline six cylinder. A lot of people will be surprised about the number three car on my list. Nineteen sixty four Volvo P eighteen hundred S. Yes, I did own one, and it's not a boxy Volvo. This is a very curvy. The front end of it looks like it was designed in Italy or England, could be, and the rear end. Looks kind of like a boat. It's got tail fins like a 57 Chevy, except they're rounded off. Just look up that car. Now, from the side view, it doesn't look that great. The best the best view of this car is from the front and the back. Now, I had one of these, and I did a complete restoration on it. And that's another one of those cars you put in the basement, set up a chair, and you sit there and look at it. And you just appreciate the design. Uh, number two on my list is an old car. You know, back in the... 30s. Uh, there was some bad stuff going on in this country, but man, if you had money, you could get some cars built that were absolutely off the charts. Gorgeous. 1932 Packard Coupe. It was a 904 design. I tried to buy one on Bring a Trailer about six months ago, but it got 
way out of my price range in a hurry. I even called a buddy, said, would you like to partner on, on maybe a 1932 Packard? Yes, I would. Where is it? And I said, it's on Bring a Trailer. So he looked at it, and he said, Lenny, well, no, I can't do that. Neither one of us could. But I sure can look at them when I go to a show. It's kind of a – it looks like the, the top has been chopped. It's a big, long nose, eight, uh, inline eight-cylinder, rumble seat, but it's a two-door car with a, with a chopped top. Oh, it looks like a gangster just needs to roll out of it. My favorite car, though, to look at, bar none, I saw it on No Time to Die last night with – uh, Daniel Craig in Bond, James Bond. Um, yep, 007, his favorite car, 1963 Aston Martin DB5. To me, it just doesn't get any prettier than that. They sell for $1.5 to $2 million now on the market. Um, the car was just special. I mean, it, the performance at the time, nothing else ran close except maybe a Ferrari. But the Ferraris couldn't touch it as far as sheer beauty. So I like looking at the 63 Aston Martin. There will probably never be one in my basement. All right, I'll take my last break, and I'll be back here with my top 10 favorite cars of all time to drive. Okay, I'm back. Let's get rolling on my top 10 favorite cars of all time. Not to look at. We already covered that. But to drive. And let's start at number 10. Number 10 is a car I was kind of ambivalent about. I, I thought it was a cool-looking car to look at. I thought they were tremendously overpriced at the time. You could only buy them at an Acura dealership. But, man, when I drove one, I realized what all the hubbub was about. 1991 to 2004, Acura NSX. It was their uh, supercar, basically. It had a very powerful uh, V6, and it was, I mean, un unbelievable suspension, very low to the ground, and an amazing car. Number 10, I'm sorry, number 9 on the list is a car that we sold, and, and I love this car. It was a Mazda, another Mazda, 1985 Mazda RX-7 GSL SE. Was, this was the fuel-injected model, um, and the RX-7, I mean, we did so well selling those cars. Just a wonderful automobile, but I really love the first generation. They were just so light and nimble, and I, personally, I thought they drove a lot better than the 280Z and the 240Z. Number nine, you might find this a surprise, 2022 Ford Bronco. You know my wife has one, and I just love driving that thing. I just feel very comfortable in it. I like to be able to go off-road if I want to. To me, it's boxy, and I like boxes. It's just beautiful, and I can't believe I put a, a relatively new car on my list. Number eight is my favorite car to own is my 1965 Corvair Corsa convertible. I just love hearing that engine in the back. It's just, it sings to me. And shifting gears and the steering is right. You know, if you don't have the air pressures right on the tires, you're going to crash. But if you have the air pressures right on the tires and you're reasonable with the way you drive it, then it's a, it's a joy to drive. Uh, number seven, 2020 Mustang GT350. Now, Mustang came out with this, uh, it's called the Voodoo V8. It is a flat plane crank. I think the, the displacement was actually 5.2 or 5.3 liters. But that thing would absolutely fly. Unbelievable track car. It's not a car that I wouldn't want to drive every day, but it is a factory built. You can buy it in, a, or you could buy them in a dealership. You can buy them on, you know, used right now, but just an amazing car to drive. And the way it sounded is, is like music to a gearhead ears. Number six on the list is kind of total departure from the Mustang GT350, uh, 350, but I'm telling you, I really enjoyed driving my 1966 VW bus. You know, I could kick out those safari windows in the front and let bugs fly into my teeth, and 
and people just love looking at you know one of the reasons I, I like driving a lot of these cars is because it brings so much joy to other people and they get to see the car and enjoy it and people absolutely went nuts over this old style VW bus uh, number five was my recent purchase a 2022 C8 Corvette you know it not many cars drive like that one and uh, you know I had a problem getting in and out of it and also didn't like it because it brought so much attention. It was such a supercar. You know, people see it. They think it's a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or something. I don't really care for that. But I'll tell you what, it's one of the finest cars I've ever driven. Number four on my list is my 2021 F-150 Platinum. There's just not many things I like to drive. You know, I had a choice of like five different cars in my house today. And I said, you know, I'm going to drive my truck. I, I like the driving position. The seats are comfortable. I travel in it. That is my wife's and my travel car. Uh, if I go anywhere long distance, I want to be in it. It has the technology, the cup holders, the fold-down armrests. The, you know, it'll drive itself if I want it to. It's an amazing vehicle, and and it is my favorite. You know, I might have got my count number here uh, messed up. That's number three. Number number two on my list is the latest generation Mazda, Miata. So there's two Mazdas. Isn't that interesting? Well, it's not interest. It's not amazing to me because Mazdas are famous for the way they handle and drive. I mean, if you go drive a, Mazda, a new Mazda CX-5 and then go drive a Toyota RAV4, you'll say, wow, that CX-5 drives better. Now, you might buy the Toyota because you like the Toyota name brand better, but I, you won't find better handling and driving cars than Mazdas. I can tell you that. And I'm not even a Mazda dealer now. But the Miata is absolutely the most perfect car for what it's designed to do, ever made. If you ever have a chance to drive one, You'll love it. And then my favorite car to drive of all time is a car that I currently own is a 2005 Porsche uh, 911. Uh, you know, Porsches have grown up. They've gotten much bigger. If you park at my car beside a car from the, the, the original 911s from the 60s and 70s, you'll say, wow, that car got big. And it did. And you should park my car beside the new 992, which is the latest version, the 2023 model. It's it looks 20% bigger than my car. So they keep growing, and I don't necessarily think that's a good thing. But they all drive amazingly. Again, you have the engine in the rear, and the rate, weight distribution is not right. I mean, it's like 65% in the rear and 45% in the front. But it's it just the way it sounds, the way it accelerates. You know, my car is not turbocharged. The handling is... is just about as perfect as it can be. The only car that's better as far as just the steering feel is the Miata. So I had to pick between those two, but the, those are the, that's how I picked. And So that's my top 10 favorite cars of all time to drive and to look at. You know, share yours with me. Send me your, send me your top five. Uh, set, text me at 552, I'm sorry, 423-552-2020 or email me, Lenny, L-E-N-N-I-E, Lawson, 2020 at gmail.com. I'd love to see what your list looks like. Well, thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.